As you know, we've been going through a study for many weeks now on ecclesiology, which is understanding of what the church is to be about, who the church is, and what the church is to do to get it right God's way. To understand the offices and the ordinances of the church as we've been going through. And uh, now it's time to think about what do we do with that? What do we do with ecclesiology, with doing the church right? Many, many years ago, I played soccer a lot. And I played in high school and a little bit in college. And uh, when we had kids, we had boys, we, I was the soccer coach for each of my three boys. And so uh, I did that until their talents became better than my ability to coach. But uh, over, the, over those years, I saw a lot of soccer games. I've seen a lot of soccer games. And certain games that you see are very interesting because the team with the most excellent soccer skills doesn't win against a team with less skills. They pass the ball, ball more crisply. They receive the ball out of the air, right to their feet, ready to move. They can dribble around people, and they move around the field, and uh, their team possesses the ball way more than the other team does. But they lack one thing, the main thing. They lack the passion, the determination to get the ball in the back of the net. And so they lose. In the same way, the church, families in the church, individuals in the church, can accomplish a lot of good Christian work, but miss the main goal the main purpose God has given to the church. The church of Jesus Christ has done amazing things in the world. Good things. Schools and colleges have been started because of the Christian church. Hospitals and orphanages have been built. The poor have been helped. The hungry have been fed. Even slavery has been ended because of the work of believers in Jesus Christ. The list goes on and on, as you know. The positive effect of Christianity on society has been incalculable. These are wonderful good works that are absolutely in line with what God would have his people do to demonstrate their love for him and their love for their neighbor, especially the downcast and the hurting. And we are exhorted in Scripture not to grow weary in doing good works. But it's also true that our life on this earth until we die is really, really short compared to our life after we die. Even if you're a teenager here this morning or younger, the time that you're going to spend until your body dies is like a speck of a speck of time compared to mountains of time that you're going to be alive after you die. This is not just a biblical truth to be memorized. This is reality, and we would be foolish to not consider that reality. The scripture doesn't neglect that. Jesus didn't. This morning's message is based on that reality. Transformation of society in the world though often a result of changed lives of, of believers, legitimate, is not God's primary goal for the mission for the church. God's mission for the church is relevant for today, for sure, but it has eternity in mind. We find the primary mission passage that we've looked at many times as we've gone through this series in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So that's what we'll look at first this morning. So we'll start by looking at that closely uh, this morning. My main point this morning is quite simple. I'm a simple man. It's not complicated. The local church, 
composed of disciples of Jesus Christ, has one main focus, to make disciples to the glory of God. We are disciples making disciples in and through the local church. Our mission statement here at Community Bible Church is to bring glory to God by obeying the commission of his son, Jesus Christ, to make disciples of all nations by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do this through four ways, through the four E's that you hear about, through evangelism, through establishing the saints in the faith and in the word, through equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and through expanding, expanding in numbers in the church, as well as expanding by multiplication of churches. So please turn to Matthew 28 if you're not already there. And before we start, please let me pray that the Lord would guide us directly through that. Father, you know my need. You know the need of every person in this room right now. And there's many different needs here. We simply ask that you would help us by the power of your spirit to receive your word this morning, to receive the truth of your word, not only to receive it, but to love it, to rejoice in it, and then to act on it. Please help us to be about the work you've called us to do, the reason we're here. Please do that by the power of your spirit and for the sake of Jesus Christ, amen. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is the context here? The context is that Jesus, of course, has risen from the dead, and he has been interacting with the 11 apostles, the 11 disciples that were left uh, for somewhere under 40 days now, and they're now in Galilee at this point, and he was soon to ascend to the Father. Jesus was the second Adam, that is, the one man in all of history who was able to fulfill the call to righteously rule over the earth as the Father's priest and king, the only one. Jesus lived a sinless life, fulfilling the, the God's perfect law. He had accomplished salvation of man through the cross and through his resurrection. And now as the Son of Man, verse 18, all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth by the Father, as the Son of Man. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the 11 apostles, those 11 closest to him, soon to become 12. There were probably other people there in this, in this scene. Some commentators think that the 500 that saw Jesus after his resurrection were here at this time. Um, as described in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, or 15, but uh, I don't, we don't really have any biblical proof of that. But the, the important thing, I think, for us is that Jesus was speaking specifically to these 11 apostles. These men believed who Jesus was as Messiah, and they believed him as the Savior of their souls. Uh, but beyond that, they were pretty clueless as to what do we do now? Where do we go from here? But what I believe is very important about these 11 in this particular scene was that they were the seed of the church. In Acts 1, 4 through 8, when they were back in Jerusalem, just before Jesus rose, Jesus gave them a similar command, really, similar to the commission. He told them to stay together and to wait for the promised Holy Spirit to come upon them 
in just a few days, and that now was not the time for the physical kingdom to begin. Now was the time for them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And when they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit a few days later on the Jewish festival of Pentecost, they and thousands that believed that day became the local church of Jerusalem. That's who they were. Beginning the spread of the gospel and the multiplication of churches. I think what's really important, one of the really important things here is the Great Commission was given to the seed of the local church, these 11. Not to individual unattached believers, not to special people called missionaries, but to the church as a whole. And the rest of the New Testament attests to that too. We've seen that in the last several three weeks that the leaders in the church are to fulfill certain roles and responsibilities. But some of Jesus' commands are to the, the whole congregation, to the whole church. We learned that baptism was one of those. We learned that the Lord's Supper was one of those. And we learned that discipline in the church and among one another is one of those things that's the responsibility and the privilege of the whole congregation. And today we recognize that the main mission of the church is the responsibility of all of us, of the congregation. So let's look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples is a command and the verb in this sentence. They were to make disciples by going, or literally having gone, or in your going. So they're to make disciples by going and baptizing in the name, and for those who need more biblical proof of the Trinity, in the name, which was singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. The disciples understood when Jesus said, make disciples by baptizing, that he had in mind preaching the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, as they had been taught by Jesus to do, and identifying new believers with Jesus and with the church through baptism. Verse 19 here relates to, if you think of our mission statement, it relates to the evangelism and expansion portion of our call to discipleship in our mission statement. Now God's plan of the pursuit and redemption of unworthy, self-loving sinners like us, deserving only of his holy wrath, has been going on since Adam and Eve. It wasn't Adam who sought out God after he sinned. It was God who sought out Adam. And it has always been God's, God's desire to reach all nations, the whole world, uh, with his offer of great grace. His message of grace went out to some degree through all believers, and even through the nation of Israel, though poorly and ineffectively. But when Jesus came, the message of grace went forth clearly and profoundly as he lived and died as a picture of that grace. And now, in this age, Jesus is still bringing people to himself. He's still bringing people from death to life. But he's doing it through his church, through the church. What a privilege it is, really, to participate in, in this great work of God's grace and helping people to, to see life and be a part of what Jesus is doing. We've been reminded over the last several weeks, and uh, this affected me, particularly when, when James was talking about exactly who we are here at CBC. 
And we think about the fact that as a local church, we are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God Almighty. We are the body of Christ. Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, is, he is working through us, through the many parts of our body, all essential to do the work that he's called us to. He's working through us. We are the bride of Christ, who he loves and cares for absolutely. This is who we are. And, of course, we are the household of God. We are the family of God. What an amazing position. This is, to me, very huge. And, and when we meditate on who we are like that, it helps us to reorient ourselves to more eternal things and not all the things that we tend to get caught up to with. Uh, we talk about being mission-minded, and if that mission, making disciples, is the mindset and the passion of this church family, God will be glorified here. And his glory is our ultimate goal, after all, as well as our ultimate satisfaction. If making the gospel known is not in the air we breathe, in our conversations with one another, in our teachings, in all of our interactions with one another, if we're not intent on that purpose above all, we may be succeeding in many biblical endeavors. We may even get a lot of ecclesiology right. But failing in the main thing, never getting the ball in the back of the net. We don't want to do that. Evangelism and baptizing, communicated in verse 19, is only step one of discipleship. Let's look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe means not just knowledge, but obedience, but following Jesus. It's a change of mind and heart that results in the change of activity. Verse 20 is, is more related to the establishing of the saints and the equipping of saints to do the work of ministry. Ministry, And we're going to talk a lot more about what that means um, next week as we deal more specifically with our church. So this is Jesus' command, his commission. It's not complicated. It's to make disciples by bringing converts into the church and teaching them to obey his teachings. One problem. We have no ability to do that. We cannot accomplish this, and I'm sure that's what the disciples were thinking too. How are we going to do this? But look at the last little phrase couple of phrases in verse 20. That may be the most important part of the commission. Lo, I am with you always. Jesus is telling them, be encouraged, remember that I'm leaving, but I will remain with you in the person of my spirit and the Father's spirit, who the Father will send soon. In fact, this is just a few days after that. And how long will we be making disciples? Till the end of the age, till Jesus returns. There is an end point. There's a time to be making disciples, and that time is now. Remember, it's short, but that time is now. But it's not forever. Jesus told them of, had already told them of his return when disciple making would be ended. No longer necessary. So in Acts, as well as in Luke, they were told to remain in Jerusalem, and they did. They experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then they proceeded to make disciples by preaching the gospel, baptizing converts, and teaching them the truths and the person of Jesus Christ, as the church began locally in Jerusalem and then spread from there. So let's look at a few words in here. Let's look at, if, we, if making disciples is the main thing, then we ought to think about what is a disciple, then a good place to start. 
The Greek word refers to a learner or student or an apprentice. The concept of disciple was certainly well known to the 11 disciples of Jesus. In Jewish culture, if a rabbi accepted someone as a student, the student would follow him, learn from his teachings, and by watching him live life. But the goal of that student was to become just like the teacher. Disciples were not just learning a body of teaching, they were learning a person in order to be transformed into someone just like that. And so it was with Jesus and his disciples, and so it is with Jesus and us. We are to be learners of Jesus, not just about him, not just his teachings, but to get to know him intimately and deeply. Because when we do, his magnificence overwhelms us, really. It overwhelmed the apostles. It overwhelmed Paul. And it changes us when we see him and his beauty as, as it really is. And our ultimate goal is to be like Jesus, Christ-likeness. That's the goal. We want to be more like him. We want to be more like his humility, more like his kindness, his servant leadership, his mercy, his truth, his wisdom, and most importantly, his love. That's what being a disciple, that's the end point that we're all shooting for. So a disciple more completely defined could be like this. A disciple is someone devoted to transformationally learning Jesus. There are some misconceptions about what a disciple is. To clarify that, go and make disciples is not simply evangelizing the lost and making converts to Jesus near and far. That is step one. That's the beginning of it. But that totally disregards verse 20 of this commission. But it's commonly, that's commonly thought of like that. Just go and make disciples. Nothing about bringing them together as a church. Secondly, a disciple is not a second stage of being a Christian. If you're a believer here this morning, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't think you can be saved, but maybe one day I'll, I'll get serious. One day I'm going to become a disciple, a real learner of Jesus, like, this, like we talked about. Jesus never left room for it. If, do you remember the book of Luke? Do you remember what Jesus said throughout the book of Luke? If you forgot, listen to some messages from there. He never left room for that. To be a believer... For Jesus meant to believe, to turn from your old ways, and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what a believer is. It's a clear change of direction and a clear change of affection from that point on. I'd like to talk a little bit about why make disciples. You know, people do ultimately what they want to do. We do what we want to do. So what is it that's going to motivate us to really want to be a church that's a disciple-making church, that's in the, in the culture, in the atmosphere, in conversations, in our teachings, and everything we do? We need to have a want to before it'll happen. And we know that ultimately, that's a heart change, and that's one of the reasons we pray, that God will give us that want to. One of the reasons that we should want to make disciples 
is simply obedience. It's not complicated. Jesus told us to do it. Do we really need anything else? I don't think so. But secondly, making disciples glorifies God, which should be the passion and purpose of every church and every believer, as I hope it is. The psalmist wrote in 115.1, he understood this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Now, making disciples glorifies God, first because it's, it's an act of obedience, and obedience indicates our, our trust in him and our belief in what he said is right. And secondly, the work of Jesus on the cross on behalf of his elect. His grace and mercy towards undeserving sinners is the centerpiece of his glory. It is all through scripture. And it was going to be worshipped forever. The gospel glorifies Christ. Step one of discipleship, sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. Three times, if you look at Ephesians 1, the glorious chapter 1 of Ephesians, where it talks about the, the many blessings that we have because of what God has done for us. Three times in the first 14 verses, when Paul is relating the, the fact that we have been predestined, we have been redeemed, we have, we have our salvation, and it's, it's a permanent inheritance is ours. In all these cases, he says that this is to the praise of the glory of his grace to the praise of the glory of his grace. And then in chapter 2 of Ephesians, after, we, after Paul declares that Ephesian church, you were dead in your, in your trespasses and sins, but God made us alive, as we read this morning as well. God made us alive. Then in verse 7, he says, so that. Why did he do this? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us. The grace of, of Jesus Christ in, in salvation and saving sinners is a centerpiece of his glory. And then we look at the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. When John saw a vision in heaven where Jesus was the only one who could take the scroll and the scroll of judgment and open the seals. We sing about this, remember? And we loved, this, we loved that song. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. Why was he worthy? For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The gospel message brings glory to God and will forever. And then the myriads of angels and people surrounding at that point said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb, or I should say will say at that point, and are saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's the centerpiece. Making disciples, helping people to behold the majesty of God's grace and the lamb that was slain on the cross brings God's glory. That's a motivation to do it. And when we disciple new believers into a deeper learning and walk with Jesus. He is magnified because it's producing, it cultivates joyful and sincere worshipers. More and more people who can worship in spirit and in truth. John Piper famously said that missions exist because worship doesn't. Jesus Christ is worthy of the worship of every single person that's ever been born. 
Discipleship helps bring in more worshipers, which glorifies God. As we know, Psalm 67, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Making disciples, thirdly, blesses us. Maybe that's what it takes to motivate us. It does. As I said, people do what they want to do. The truth is, whenever we're doing God's will, and we're in the center of what he has called us to do, there's no greater joy than that. There's no greater satisfaction. There's no greater pleasure that we'll find anywhere else than being about the work God's called us to do. Because we feel closer to him at that time. And being in his will and being close fellowship with the Lord brings a believer great pleasure. This is real. This is reality. This is why Paul wrote, My beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. It's not empty. There's significance to it. There's value to it. That's why the psalmist said in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. The path of life. This is the path God has called us to do. And if we do that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That motivates me. And Jesus said in Mark 10, 28 through 30, all who leave everything for my sake will receive a hundredfold now and then eternal life. And he said in Matthew 10, 39, whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one that actually finds it. Do you want life? We need to be in God's will. We need to be following and being about what he's called us to do. It is worth it to give our lives to this, to what God has called us to do as his church. And finally, one more reason why the local church should be all in and making disciples. For the love of our neighbor. Do we love our neighbors? We're called to love God and, and love those around us. For the unsaved who lead joyless lives and are destined for eternal agony, we have the message of life. We have the message of salvation that God's, God wants us to give to them. And for our brothers and sisters here, those who are believers, making disciples, helping people move towards learning and loving Jesus is the most loving thing we could ever do for one another. In fact, if we help people with physical needs, but never have in mind wanting to help them see Jesus for who he is. That's vain help. It's empty help. It really doesn't do him any good at all. So lastly, we're going to start this section on how do we make disciples? How are disciples made? And this will take us the rest of our time to this morning and into next week. Because making disciples is a command we cannot do, as we've already talked about. God is at the beginning, the middle, and the end. He is above it, below it, to the side of it, and within it. This is true of conversion, as well as the change throughout a Christian's life, the change of life of a disciple. This is reality. And of course, we all know Romans 8, 29, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Brethren, Those who he predestined, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. It's as good as done. Jesus is the one who makes disciples. God makes disciples. We may plant, others may water, but it is God who causes the growth. However, along with that absolute truth of God's sovereignty over discipleship, God makes disciples, 
and he makes disciples from conversion through maturity. Another truth is this. He has called us to make disciples from conversion through maturity. Paul thought of it like this. We are God's fellow workers. And we spoke about this in the men's class on sovereignty, evangelism and the sovereignty of God. And this is called an antimony. It's two absolute truths that seem contradictory but are not. It's absolutely true that God is sovereign over making disciples. And it's absolutely true that we, the church, are responsible to make disciples. Making disciples is our calling as a church. It's our responsibility as well as our great privilege. So we must develop a, a culture of CBC of disciple making. All of us must be involved in helping one another toward being transformed learners of Jesus. In order for this to happen, I think there's four ingredients that have to be involved in every aspect of discipleship. They have to be present in our being discipled, which we're called to be disciples and be discipled, as well as our call to make disciples. Number one is the word. There's one central activity in making and growing Christ learners, the communication of the words of God. It won't happen without it. Now, I know in a Bible teaching church like this, we don't have to make a major point of that, of the importance of God's word. Just let me read a few verses just to, for points of emphasis. Ephesians 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And of course, Romans 10.17, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of Christ. And we should know 2 Timothy 3.16 at this point. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's discipleship. Psalm 119, 105, Your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's your word. In the first Thessalonians, Two, when Paul was commending the Thessalonians, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. God's grace to us in his Son communicated to us through his word is what opens blind eyes and turns us around to be a follower of Jesus. And, and God's word, like physical food for the body, is what continues to give us life, to help us to grow, and to move us toward being a transformed learner of Jesus Christ. Disciples, learners of Christ, are made only through God's word. We must be people of God's word, as we emphasize that the men's retreat. Read it, read it, read it. Be a people of the word. Then I want to emphasize this. I'm not speaking to you from a position of being there. I'm speaking to me as well. It's always a challenge to spend as much time in, in God's word as we ought to, and it is, has been for me as well. But that's, it's, a critical, it's a critical part of making disciples. Learners of Christ are made only that way. There's a lot of ways we can speak God's word to one another. There's a multitude of ways we'll talk about next week. Ingredient number two is prayer. Now, I don't just say prayer because... Prayer is something you should have on every list that you, uh, it's kind of a spiritual thing. 
I say this because, as we said, it, it's, it's God through his spirit who makes and matures disciples. We can't do this without the work of his spirit. And we know this. When the spirit of God is actively working with the word of God, miraculous things happen. When the spirit of God is working with the word of God, miraculous things happen. That's what we ask for. That's what we are, are pursuing in discipleship. We speak the word to, of God to non-believers and to one another, and we pray for the Spirit of God to do his gracious and powerful work through that word. It's not complicated. For a point of emphasis on the importance of the Spirit, Titus 3.5 he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, of course, told Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's the word of God. It's God's word that, where we learn about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is not going to happen by learning that list or memorizing that list. The fruit of the Spirit comes when the Holy Spirit works through us to make it happen. It's the, the Spirit working with the Word. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we know the things freely given to us. Of course, we could go on and on about the power of the Spirit and the importance of the Spirit and the Word. If we accept the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit in making and transforming learners of Christ, then we will be a praying church, right? If we really accept it. We will be praying individuals. We will be praying families. And we will be a praying church. Church that is weak in the word or in prayer will not be a disciple-making church. Can't be. It's not where we want to be. The word, the spirit, prayer. Ingredient number three, us. It's all of us. As I've said, God has amazingly chosen to accomplish his loving and discipling work through us. Unimaginable, but that's what he did, the church. This is evident not only in this passage we looked at today in Matthew 28, but throughout, throughout the New Testament. It is us, or more grammatically correct, it is we, the local church, the body of Christ, that is the, the pillar and support of the truth. It is through us, the church, that the many-faceted the many faceted wisdom of God is made known to the world, both seen and unseen. Again, we're going to talk more about that next week, but um, it is the congregation's responsibility to make disciples. Ingredient number four is patience. Give it time, perseverance, faithfulness. Even Paul said that he hadn't attained to where he thought he ought to be, but he was going to press on toward the call of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we need to do, continually press on. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. And 12.2, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Change is a process. It's not a point in time. And it's different for every one of us. Don't compare yourself and your road of maturity to someone else. We need to be patient with our own growth, and we need to be patient with those who we're speaking the word into. 
And when we're speaking to non-believers, be patient. Even if they are of the elect, it may take years before they respond to the gospel. And you may not even be around at that time. But that's making disciples. Ultimately, it's God's timing, right? It's God's timing. And God is not typically in a hurry like we are. We are seeing wonderful change here at Community Bible Church, I believe. But it's not as fast as I would have liked to see it. I've learned this fourth ingredient, patience and staying, staying in there in my own life and in the life of my family and in the life of this church, which I've cared about for a long time, many, many years. So when you think about all these four ingredients, like putting ingredients to make a cake, all these ingredients of discipleship, when they're put together, the word, prayer, all of us, and patience, faithfulness. We might say that, how do we make disciples? Disciples are made as God's word is prayerfully and patiently spoken into a person's life in the context of the local church. I think that's a good definition of how we make disciples. I had been exposed to a little word picture that has helped me, and it may seem a little weird to you, but um, let's, we start at the end where we end up with God. Um, Listen to Revelation 21, 1 through 3. We've already heard that part of it today. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is God's plan and our living hope. Talk about their living hope on Easter Sunday. One day, all believers will be gathered in the presence of God Almighty. Think about that. That's reality. That's where things are heading. All of history has been directed by God toward this final glorious gathering before, from before the foundation of the world. Perhaps you can picture it like this. A myriad of rejoicing saved sinners in the very presence of God Almighty. And maybe we could think of Making disciples as helping someone take a step towards that glorious destination. Maybe it starts back with a non-believer that you're talking to. And you help them to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, the beauty of the gospel. And you help them take a step to see him as he is. And by God's grace, maybe... They receive Christ. And you help them by understanding the beauty of the identification with Jesus and with his church. And you help them take a step through baptism and incorporation into the church. And then you help them in their, in their walk by, through the word and by praying for them. And you help them become transformational learners of Jesus Christ. Transformed by his power and by his word, and moving towards being conformed to the very image of Jesus, where they start living and thinking and feeling and responding to other people like Jesus did. And then they, you help them move toward a point where they're discipling other people. And you're helping them to teach and to share the gospel with other people, to make disciples. And you're, taking, and you're walking towards 
you're helping someone walk towards that glorious gathering of God's people and Almighty God himself. For me, this has helped. The reason this helped is that with every encounter I have with anyone, whether it's a believer or a non-believer, whether it's at a restaurant or at community veterinary care or here, my mindset is now I want to help that person with whatever way I can, whatever little infinitesimal way I could do it through the word and by prayer, help them take a step to the right. Think of it as a, taking a step to the right. That's helping people become disciples. So we end with this. This is the call of the church. To evangelize the lost and teach those who believe to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to obey his word. Helping them to be transformed by the renewing of their mind and heart. This is the mission of the local church. This is the call of Community Bible Church. All of us to be discipled, every one of us, to have a passion to be discipled and have a, to have a passion in this church to be a disciple-making church. This is why you're here. This is why you were born. This was God's plan for you before the foundation of the world, before you were born. And for sure, this is why you were saved. To be a disciple. To be a disciple maker. So, I say, let's go and do this together.